We are in the book of Amos, and as we have seen in our study, one of the major themes in this book is the theme of justice. Justice is important to God. God loves justice. And when God's people don't treat others fairly, do not show goodness and what is right to others, it offends God. And that's what his people Israel were doing roughly 2,750 years ago when God asked a sheep breeder, Amos, to be his mouthpiece, to leave his home in Judah, the southern tribes of Israel, and go to the northern tribes of Israel and deliver his message. And as we've seen this book unfold, four messages came from Amos, all of which said, God is going to discipline you because you have not been acting rightly toward other people. And yet, after all Four of those messages, Israel refused to stop mistreating others. In fact, last week we saw that Israel's response was just to kind of ignore God and enjoy their life, living the good life. Well, today in chapter 7 verse 1 through chapter 8 verse 3, we're going to see four visions A vision of some locusts, a vision of some destructive fire, a vision of a plumb line and a wall, and a vision of a basket of fruit. And from these four visions, we're going to see that God is patient, that God shows mercy to his people, but God does not ignore sin. And even though he is patient and he's merciful, if his people continue to push away his word, he will discipline. And that is the point of these four visions. I'm going to read this section out loud from chapter 7 verse 1 through chapter 8 verse 3. Look for the four different visions. Look for God's patience. God's compassion. And then look how Israel reacts to God's word to them. Thus the Lord God showed me. And behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord, God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand for he's small? The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me. And behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. And it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Then I said, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand for he's small? And the Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me 
And behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated. The sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. And I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus, Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, go you seer, flee away to the land of Judah and there eat bread and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it's a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I'm not a prophet, nor I am the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line. And you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Thus the Lord God showed me. And behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Many will be the corpses in every place. They will cast them forth in silence. Four visions. The first two are almost like a video clip, something that we'd see on YouTube. They will unfold in real time, and, and Amos the prophet is seeing the devastation before his eyes that the Lord has promised. The next two are more like a still photograph. But all four of these visions demonstrate two things. That God is patient and merciful. But that God does not let his people get away with just continuing in sin. He will discipline. Sometimes it looks in here like maybe Israel is just thinking, well, God's patient. He's merciful. We'll just keep doing what I want, what we want to do. They push away God's word. It's almost like they turn him off. Those of you who have been here a while know that I like to hunt. I, I like especially the fall of the year to go out and hunt. And, and one of my fun things to do is either sit in a dock boat or be out in the field pheasant hunting. And early in the season, when the teal are flying, if you have three or four guys in a duck boat, you can shoot a lot. You need some ear protection. And I have a pair of electronic muffs that 
when the when a when the adjacent shotgun fires, it actually deadens the sound, so you don't even hardly hear it. On those muffs, you can turn up the volume so that you can talk just in a normal voice, and you can hear everybody talk. In fact. You can turn them up so high that you can hear the little birds all over the slough. You also, if you want, can take that knob and you can just turn them completely off so you can't hear a thing. Some of you spouses maybe think that your spouse has one of those all the time. Well, that's what Israel's doing. They, in a sense, are just reaching up and turning off God. They're pushing away his word. And when they pushed away God's word, stopped listening to him, is when he said, no more patience, I'm going to discipline you. And we see that play out before us in these four visions. God's merciful, God's patient with his people, But he will discipline when his people continue in sin. Notice with me, there's a common phrase repeated throughout this section. It's an introductory phrase that helps us see that once again, a new vision is being introduced. That phrase, we see it in verse 1 of chapter 7. Thus the Lord God showed me. We see it again. In, in verse 4, thus the Lord God showed me. Verse 7, thus he showed me. Chapter 8, verse 1, thus the Lord God showed me. So that's our key that he's moving on to a new vision. In between vision number 3 and vision number 4, there's this interlude where we see this priest at Bethel come and actually tell Amos... We don't want to hear any more from God. But between, arounding that interlude, we have these visions. The first of which is a vision of a locust swarm. Now we did a study about a year ago in the book of Joel. And we saw in the book of Joel that when God uses locusts, it's a sign that he's bringing discipline upon his covenant people. Those people that he has chosen to be his people. And they are to be um, in walking in obedience to him. We saw it in Joel chapter 1. Well here we find a locust swarm. And it comes in. It tells us. That it comes in after the king's mowing. So in a sense the king, the government would get the first crop. And now it's time for the people's crop, the people's share. And right when it's going to be time for that people's share, the locusts come in and just devastate everything. In a sense, it just removes everybody's food. And Amos looks at this YouTube video, if you will, and says, Lord, verse 2, Lord God, please pardon How can Jacob stand for he is small? Again, when he says, how can Jacob stand? He's referring to Israel. How can Israel withstand this? All their food will be gone. No one will be able to survive. They're too tiny of a people. They're too weak. And then the Lord says in verse 3, it says, The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be. 
Vision number two comes in verse four. Again, we have our little introductory phrase. Thus the Lord God showed me. And this time, it's like a video clip of this intense fire. In fact, the fire is so intense that it tells us that I'll spare them no longer. Excuse me, uh, verse four. It says that he's going to consume them by fire. It consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Now, the great deep is a reference to the seas, to the oceans. We see it, that same word used in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, Genesis chapter 8, verse 2, and I'm going to read briefly out of Isaiah 51, verse 10. We see the same word, Isaiah 51, verse 10 says, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over. What this vision is saying is this, this fire would be so intense it would actually wipe out the sea and the farmland. And as Amos sees this vision unfold before him, he cries out once again, Lord God, verse 5, please stop. How can Jacob, how can Israel stand for he's small? Once again, verse 6, we see God's patience, his mercy. And it says in verse 6, the Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be. We come to the third vision in verse 7. Then he, thus he showed me. And we see the vision of a wall, a vertical wall, in a plumb line, literally the Hebrew word there is the word for lead. It's as if there's a piece of lead with a string hooked to it. To tell if that wall is straight up and down the way it was built. And God says, I'm going to drop a plumb line in the middle of the people of Israel. And it's going to show that they are not Living their lives the way they should. They are not plumb. They're not walking in obedience with me. How I designed for them to walk. And so we see this third vision. Thus he showed me and behold verse 7. The Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me what do you see Amos? And I said a plumb line. Then the Lord said behold I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. These high places where they worship foreign gods are going to be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. There's one more vision in chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. Again we see the little phrase. Thus the Lord God showed me. And he says, Amos, what do you see? And Amos says, a basket of summer fruit. Then ate two, the Lord said to me, the end has come to my people Israel. I'll spare them no longer. Now, that one's a little cryptic to us. He sees this basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord concludes, the end has come for my people. And the reason why it seems cryptic is once again, we have a play on words. And which happens all the time in the Hebrew Bible. Two words that sound almost the same. The Hebrew word for summer fruit sounds kind of like kayun. 
The word for end is hakin. So he says, you seek, you seek kain, I'm going to bring hakin. It sounds almost the same. And so for an Israelite hearing this, that, oh, God's mercy, God's patience has run out. He's going to discipline us. My wife, Barbara, has a long history of Christians in her family. All of her aunts and uncles, all of her great aunts and uncles, and there's like, I don't know, 18 of them, all of them knew Jesus Christ and loved Jesus Christ and served Jesus Christ. Me, on the other hand, had no background. Uh, none of my aunts and uncles uh, on my father's side, the great aunts and uncles, none of them were church. None of them knew anything about the Bible. When my dad was about 15 years old, he went to a Youth for Christ rally in Des Moines, came to faith in Jesus Christ, came home, got himself to a little one-room church by himself, at age 16, told his dad that he wanted to leave the farm and go off to Bible college. My grandpa refused. Dad worked on the farm for a little while longer and then just packed a suitcase and left and went to Northwestern College up in Minneapolis. And was the first Christian of that entire extended family. But Barbara's family has this deep history in Christ. Godly, godly people. My people came from a farming community in central Iowa. Barb's came from a farming community in central Kansas. And Barbara's grandmother, her paternal grandmother, Grandma Friesen, was a neat woman. I had the privilege of knowing her for quite a few years before she died. Just a sweet person. If you'd look up the word sweet in the dictionary, it would say, see Grandma Friesen. And she just, she was just this wonderful lady. Barbara spent hours with her in the kitchen learning to bake. And she had in the farm kitchen a big bin that was built in the cabinets that would pull out, that would hold an entire 50-pound bag of flour. And she used to let Barbara take her arms and go all the way down into the flour. They had a second refrigerator that was just for the grandkids filled with soda pop. And this was in the years when we people didn't drink pop. And it was filled with orange crush and great crush and several different kinds of root beer. And the grandkids could just... Enter at will. It was almost like Grandma Friesen was so sweet and so patient that as an outsider looking in, those kids could do whatever they wanted. It was like just, they could probably go to Grandma's cookie jar five minutes before 12 o'clock noon, eat 12 cookies and have Grandma just smile. She's so patient. She's so kind. She's so merciful. They could just do whatever they want. No. But sometimes it felt that way. And here we find Israel. 
with a God who's so patient, so full of mercy. And aren't we glad that he is? But for some within the nation of Israel, this hey, things are great in my life. Nothing bad's happened to me. God's a good God. He's blessing me. I can just do whatever I want. It's interesting. We see it repeated twice. Once in chapter 7 verse 3. It says the Lord changed his mind. We see it again in in chapter 7 verse 6. The Lord changed his mind. That Hebrew word translated changed his mind is central in the book of Jonah. And if you remember the book of Jonah, God sends Jonah to Nineveh and says, I want you to go and tell these people in Nineveh that they are wicked and I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to bring judgment on them. And Jonah says, I don't want to go. Well, we see... In chapter 3 of the book of Jonah, verse 10, the same exact words. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented. And that's our same Hebrew word that's translated changed his mind in Amos chapter 7. God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. As we come to chapter 4, verse 2... It said, it has Jonah's words and it says, he prayed to the Lord and said, please Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents. That's our Hebrew word. Concerning calamity. See, that is God's nature. God's character is to be merciful. God's character is to be patient. God's character is to be loyal in his love. And we are so thankful for that. We see it played out here in the book of Amos. It's like, God, how many warnings are you going to give to Israel? And even here, twice it says the Lord relented. He changed his mind from what he said he would do. Why? Because of who he is. He's patient with his people. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's loyal in his love. But when his people continue to push away his word, God does not Let his people continue on sinning. And it's easy for us today. To view God as a God who is merciful. And a God who's patient. And a God who is kind. And to think that equates with God not caring about sin. And that is not true. The New Testament writers play that out. In fact, the New Testament writers say that both non-Christians, those who don't believe in Jesus, and Christians are guilty 
of taking advantage of God's kindness and mercy. The Apostle Paul talks about non-Christians, those who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ, in Romans chapter 2. Remember the first three chapters of the book of Romans are all about everybody needing Jesus Christ. They're all about saying that there's not one person who's right with God. Romans chapter 1 is talking about Gentiles. Romans chapter 2 is talking about Jewish people. And in Romans chapter 2, it's talking about the fact that these ones think that they're good. And in chapter 2 verse 3, it says, But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Meaning, God has been patient with you, merciful, kind. He's given you all kinds of opportunity to come to him. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. In the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You see these people think that they're good. And they're pushing God away. Thinking that hey I'm a good person. I'm right with God. And yet in chapter 3 verse 20. We read this. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Meaning, I can't do enough good things to be declared right with God. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, he's kind. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's long-suffering. But that doesn't mean that he's going to deal lightly with sin. And the whole point of the book of Romans is that we all stand guilty. And that's bad news. But there's good news that God saw our plight. And he demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're sinners, God sent a substitute for you and for me. His one and only son. God Hate sin. And he poured out all of his wrath towards sin on one person who knew no sin. And that's his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus died bearing the penalty for your sin and my sin. And the Bible is very clear and the book of Romans is very clear. That that payment for sin can be credited to your life and my life through faith. Through putting our trust In the person of Jesus Christ. Believing that he is God. That he died for me and rose again. That is our only hope. And if you're here today. And you are just trusting that God is patient and good and kind. But you have not put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. You're in a very precarious place. And I would encourage you not to leave today. 
without putting your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, after the service, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders will be back in the prayer room directly behind you. You can just walk back there and say, hey, can I have some of that material that Pastor Steve referred to? And we have a little booklet we can give to you. You can go home, take out your own Bible, look up verses that show you how you can know for sure that you're right with God, that your sin is forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the New Testament, though, also says that Christians can be guilty as well of taking advantage of God's kindness, God's grace, almost ignoring the fact that he can discipline us. In fact, the author of the book of Hebrews in the 12th chapter has this for us. For those of us who have put our trust in Christ. And this is what he says. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. God is not... Like my wife's grandma Friesen. He's kind. He's patient. But he will deal with sin. How do I regard lightly that truth? How do I regard lightly his discipline? By pushing away his word. And that's exactly what Israel does here in this little interlude between these visions. In verses 10 through 17, we see Israel do the same thing that we often do. Responding to the word of God by pushing it away. And when we do that, he promises to discipline. Look with me at verse 10. Verse 10 says the word then. So what's happened is Amos has taken these different pictures, these visions, and he shared them with Israel. Israel, God says he's going to drop a plumb line in your midst. And you're not going to measure up very well. God's bringing discipline. What we find as we come to verse 10, that the priest... The great spiritual leader of Israel is going to come and he is going to come straight to Amos. And he's going to say to Amos, you stop. We don't need to hear a word from the Lord. In fact, what Amaziah does is the first thing he goes to King Jeroboam. And he is going to misrepresent what Amos said. He comes to the king in verse 10 and he says, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah goes to Amos and he attacks him. He attacks his character. He calls him in verse 12. He says, go you seer. 
Go do your prophesying someplace else. And by saying it that way, he is saying you are a professional prophet. Go earn your living someplace else. He, he also brings that out here when in verse 12 he says, go to Judah and there eat your bread. Meaning, you go to Judah and earn your living. You see what he's doing? Is he is trying to attack the person that's delivering the message so that he can nullify the message. Amos doesn't have the right heart. He's a professional prophet. He's just in it for the money. Therefore, we can discard what he said. That's why Amos responds in verse 14. says, I'm not a prophet. and My dad wasn't a prophet. No, I'm a sheep breeder and I was I helped tend the fig trees. And God reached down into my life and said, I have a message for you to take to the people of Israel. My wife, when we first married, worked in a dental office for five years when we lived in Dallas, Texas. Because she worked in a dental office, I ended up having to go very regularly. And the hygienist was a woman named Cheryl, and Barbara and I were friends with Cheryl and her husband, Tom. Now, I'm in my mid-twenties. I'm not really too worried about dental hygiene at that point in my life. And so I would go and Cheryl would give me this little talk about the importance of flossing. And I can remember looking at Cheryl one day and saying, does Tom floss? And Cheryl said, well, no, he doesn't. And I said, I rest my case. (laughs) Now that was stupid of me. I tried to negate her message by pointing out that her own husband doesn't do it. But in reality, her message was true. Look what Amos does here. The first thing he does is he actually misrepresents what Amos said. If you go back to verse 9, verse 9 said, Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. That's God speaking. When Amaziah goes to the king, he leaves God out of it. Notice what Amaziah says in verse 10. Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. He mentions nothing about the fact that God is the one who said he was going to bring discipline upon Jeroboam's house. The next thing that that Amaziah does is he actually misquotes Amos. He comes and he says... That in verse 11, Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword. Well, that's not what Amos said. Amos recounted God's word that God said, I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam. You see, what Amaziah is doing is he's pushing away God's word by tweaking it. Oh, how much we see that today. How much we see people saying, well, 
Yeah, but that was written, in this case, 2,750 years ago. And those who wrote that didn't understand our culture today. And you can't take something from a culture that was written 2,750 years ago and apply it today. We have to contextualize it for who we are. And you can pretty much explain away all of scripture that way. Or the same thing can be true today. That Amaziah did. We can, in a sense, negate the message by finding flaws in the messenger. And every messenger has flaws. James talks about one way that we push away the word today. In James chapter 1, verse 22. In James 1, here's what, what how he says that we push away the word. He says, prove yourselves Doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This fall I took a little time and I, I, I try in the fall to wax our vehicles. I'm old school. And the one of the nice thing about waxing your vehicle is that first rain, you see how that water just like little bubbles on top of that and then if you drive it they just, they just go right off the sides. Oh, it's just a thing of beauty. Well, that's what we do with God. We can just kind of put this shell on us. And we can displace God's word. Well, man, I sure hope so-and-so heard that because they really need that. Or I don't think preacher's heart's quite right today. And, and focus on that and not on the word itself. And here, God is done with patience. He's been patient. He's been merciful. But Israel just keeps pushing the word away. So the Lord through the prophet Amos. Down in verses 16 and 17 says. Now hear the word of the Lord. You're saying you shall not prophesy. We don't want to hear God's word anymore. But this is what God's word is to you. Verse 17. Amaziah. Your wife's going to be left in a forsaken city and she's going to have to resort to wickedness just to survive. Your children are going to die by the sword. And Amaziah, you're going to die in a foreign country after this foreigner comes in and takes you captive. Discipline is coming. Why? Not because God wants to discipline not because God lacks patience. He's more than patience, patient. But because Israel chose to keep pushing away God's word. Aren't we thankful he's patient with us? But we can't misconstrue his patience with the conclusion that he won't discipline Remember Hebrews 12? Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He's patient with us. But he will discipline us when we push away his word. Again, if you are here today. You want to spend some time in prayer. One of our elders, one of our leaders will be back in the prayer room. I encourage you to go back and spend some time praying. Or if you want to get some of that material for yourself. Or maybe you have a friend that you want to put that book into their hand. Stop back and one of our elders will give that to you. Father, we thank you for your word.
and the fact that you are patient with us. You're merciful. But that you don't let us push away your word. You will get our attention. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.